If you have your Bible, go with me to Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to show you all my... Oh, there we go. Okay. Matthew chapter 14. Um, interesting this morning as you gather around uh, the scriptures in Matthew chapter 14, I don't know if you realize the feeding of the 5,000 was alongside of a passage of scripture that talks about John the Baptist. And so this morning you're going to get a chance to see two things. First off, uh, John the Baptist. Uh, and those of you that like gruesome stories, you're going to enjoy uh, this, this uh, time together this morning. And then the feeding of the 5,000. As you go to Matthew uh, chapter 14 and, and you get there, there's some things that you need to just be a little bit aware of uh, as you get ready a chance to open up the scriptures. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, there's a, there's a scenario taking place. I kind of like to call it the soap opera of the scriptures. As you gather around Matthew chapter 14, you're gathering to a society that loves adultery, jealousy, revenge, lust, idolatry, violence, and then you can add on a lot of other things of what's taking place around Matthew chapter 14. So as I kind of look at Matthew chapter 14, the scenario is a mess. The world and the situations and where you're going to find John the Baptist You'll find him in just a second in prison. He's in prison because he's not willing to walk away from biblical truth. He calls sin, sin. And so when you enter into this this scripture, remind yourself that, you know, maybe there's been a time in your life where you probably said something and it just came out of your mouth and you said, did I really say that? That wasn't really what I meant. That's not what we are in Matthew chapter 14. John knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying to the leaders of the day, what you are doing is wrong, and it's what the Bible calls sin. So you have John the Baptist. If you have some time this afternoon, Matthew chapter 3, you can go back and look at John the Baptist's ministry. His whole thing was a forerunner of Christ. His message was repent. The kingdom is at hand. John the Baptist preached in the wilderness. He wore camel's hair. He wore a leather belt, he ate locusts and honey, and he challenged those people that are around him. Not only do you repent, he challenged them to live a lifestyle where fruit would remain. John the Baptist wasn't just a flash in the pan, hey, by the way, here, I want to tell you who Jesus is, now go ahead and live your life however you want to, and that's not the way John the Baptist did ministry. He called sin, sin, and he challenged individuals, you need to repent. And repentance is not just, oh yeah, by the way, I'm sorry, John says, repentance means that your fruit remains. Who you are changes because you came face to face with the reality of the Word of God. And if the Word of God calls it true, and you submit to it, guess what happens? The power of the Holy Spirit, your life changes. You should not be the same person you were 15 years ago. If I have a relationship with Christ, my, my relationship and my lifestyle is in the process of changing. Matthew chapter 11, if you have some free time this afternoon, is Jesus' thought process is about John the Baptist. It's an incredible passage of Scripture, but we do not have time this morning. John the Baptist is in prison. Pick up your Bible in Matthew chapter 14. At that time, Herod, the tetrarch, heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He was raised from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake, this is why he's in prison, for the sake of Herodias, his brother's, Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful 
for you to have her. This king, Herodias, married, she married her uncle. It was not clear in Scripture when John actually sat down and called them out, or if it was if it was a time where Herodias said, you know what, let's just have a big party. I want to meet John. And then John in that situation said, by the way, what you're doing over here, that's sin. That is not biblical truth. I don't know when that took place. Or maybe John was just preaching a message and said something in the context, and it got back to the king. Well, what has happened now is this, this individual, this woman, hates John the Baptist so much she wants him in prison. She really wants to kill him, but she can't. So John the Baptist is in prison, and now something that's going to take place. And before you kind of go on from that, I want to just, uh, for you to think about something. What if John the Baptist wouldn't have called sin, sin? Would have he been in prison? Would we find John the Baptist here in Matthew chapter 14 if he did not stand on biblical truth? I don't think so. Or if John, once they took him to prison, said, you know what, maybe I just need to recant. Maybe that was just a little bit offensive. So because I said it, I'll just take it back now. You know, I want everybody to love me. I want everybody to participate. I want everybody to be happy. We don't need anybody's feelings to be hurt. So I'll just back that down now. We don't see that in John. We see an individual that says, you know what, the Word of God says this, and leader, or whoever the individuals might be, But John specifically called out their sin and it is not lawful for you to have her. Now, verse 5. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to a prophet, to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod. So he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Pretty interesting birthday gift if you want to give something to your mom. Prompted by her mom, you know what I really, what mom really wants for her birthday is for that individual that called out her sin to die. I want his head on a platter. That's what I want. What's interesting is, is at this birthday party, it's probably like a birthday party that you've never been to before. Uh, we probably... They probably take place somewhere in the world. Hopefully not a whole lot of these birthday parties take place in Highlands County. But Herod's birthday came. The daughter of Herodias danced before the the company and pleased Herod. So he promised her with an oath to give her whatever she wanted. Now look at Mark. Take your Bible and go to Mark chapter 6. I want to show you something. I want to show you how far sin can take you if you're not very careful. If you're not careful with sin. Go to Mark chapter 6. Verse 22, okay, so this account of John the Baptist, the feeding of the 5,000 is in all four of the Gospels, uh, or, or the feeding of the 5,000 in all four of the Gospels. Look at Matthew, or Luke, Mark, Matthew, Mark, I'll get this right here in a second. Mark, chapter 6, verse 22. When Herodias' daughters came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, and the king said to the girl, ask for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to... Half of my kingdom. Go back to Matthew. This girl has been given an opportunity to have financial wealth. Half of the king's kingdom. She goes back to her mom. Mom, this is what's been promised to me. You can have this, mom, half of the kingdom, or you can have whatever you want. 
The dysfunction and the bitterness and the anger and the rage of the mother went to John the Baptist. So as you read through the Scriptures, John the Baptist's head is actually brought to this young lady on a platter, and that platter is given to her mother. Happy birthday, Mom. And the reason that I want you to see this is for this, this reason. It's interesting to me how far individual sin goes, but they never count the cost of how far it will actually end up. So as I think about this, this, this time that we have with the Scripture around John the Baptist, John the Baptist has not sinned. John the Baptist has lived a life that was honoring through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, sometimes you want to have some fun, go back to the beginning of Matthew, realize that the Holy Spirit had come upon John the Baptist. This isn't John the Baptist is not a superhero. John the Baptist is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, and he calls sin, sin, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't recant for that, even if he has to go to prison. So John the Baptist is living a biblical lifestyle. Guess what? The biblical lifestyle cost John the Baptist his head. And so as you're sitting here this morning, think about this for a second. Just a, just a thought. It will take courage for you not to join in the lies of the world. It will take courage for you to stand for truth. And what I mean truth, okay? I believe there's absolute truth. I don't care what you believe. There's an absolute truth. It's called the Word of God and it never changes. That doesn't mean that I can go out there and find what I want, bring it in here and say that I love Jesus and change my lifestyle because the world is telling me I need to be happy. That's not biblical truth. And so this morning as you sit here, it's either on your little device or it's a little open in front of you. If you read it out loud, that is God speaking to you. The Word of God. And it's going to cost you to live according to that book, the Word of God. It is absolute truth. It doesn't change. It doesn't matter what society says. I mean, go back to, you know, 2,000 years ago. Jesus is walking on the earth and they're having birthday parties. And a mom says to the daughter, you go dance for the king, please. And she dances in a way that pleases the king. And the king says, hey, I'll give you half. I'll give you whatever you want. The dysfunction of mom goes all the way back to the book of Matthew. Hey, I just want to be happy. Well, if I want to marry this king, you can't tell me that I can't do that. Did John the Baptist tell her that? No, the the word of God told her that. This is sin. Now, I realize... If you want to build a big building and make people really excited about church, don't talk about sin. All right? Don't make anybody uncomfortable. Don't talk about absolute truth. Don't challenge anybody to bring their feelings to the subjection of the truth of the Word of God. Don't do that. People won't walk out high-fiving each other. Okay? Well, if you walk out of here high-fiving each other and don't know where you're going to spend eternity, we've lost as a church. I want you to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. There's only one way. The Word of God says it's very clear. There's only one way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to heaven except through 
the cross. That has nothing to do with your feelings. Okay? It doesn't have to do with how much money you can get. That's just biblical fact. If I'm going to tell you a biblical fact about salvation, I want you to walk in biblical truth. Because we care about So here's a question. When was the last time you took the Word of God as biblical truth, ultimate authority, and the Holy Spirit said to you, you're living outside of those lines. You need to repent. And I say this often, so I'll say it again. Repentance is not just going to God and say, by the way, flippantly, I need to say I'm sorry. That is not repentance. That's what your parents made you to do when you punched your brother or your sister, and they said, what do you do to them? You tell them that you're sorry. You didn't mean it, but you obeyed your parents. Okay, but that's the way we made it work in our family. Tell, tell Seth that you're sorry. Tell Rachel that you're sorry. They did, but they weren't really sorry. We know that as parents, okay? We understand. But then you bring that to your relationship with Christ, and you say, you know what? Well, I'm just sorry. No. I need to agree with you, Father, the creator of heaven and earth. The word of God says this, and I am living outside of this. I am living in sin. I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to repent. There's a temptation for you, though. It happens to all of us. You didn't sin, you just made a mistake. It was just a bad day. Well, are you just tired? No, you lost your temper, that's sin. You thought this, that's sin. You did this, that's sin. Don't, don't, don't use the word mistake. I'll challenge you as a friend, please do not use the word mistake. You know why? Mistake people just make mistakes. Sinners need a Savior. And there's a big difference between those two. I am a sinner saved by grace. Yes, I can use the word mistake as often as I want to, but it's just a, it's, it's a lie. It doesn't work. Father, I am wrong. When was the last time you said, your Heavenly Father, you are wrong? Why is this so important? I believe if you're not careful to keep short accounts on sin, you will never know what you will end up doing. If you do not, if you're not careful to keep short accounts on sin, you never know what you will end up acting out in your actions. I'm pretty sure that this lady named Herodias wasn't thinking when she would become an adult that she, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and offer my daughter up to this guy, let her dance before him, and by the way, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. That's not what I want for my 50th birthday party. Sounds like a whole lot of fun. Guess what? Sin dumbs you down and you go down to really extreme roots. So you're sitting here this morning looking at a passage of Scripture that we typically buzz right on through because we really want to get to the feeding of the 5,000. There's something in front of you, repentance this morning. Does the world know you as a truth person? Or are you one of those people just entering the conversation and have the conversation? What I love about the two of these things being together, because... As I went through the beginning of Matthew chapter 4, I kind of get pretty discouraged as an individual because I'm pretty much a mess. But you know what? With Jesus, all things are possible. And so now you come to this, the, the next part and go to, to verse 13 of, of Matthew chapter 14. Now when Jesus heard about this, heard about John being beheaded, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. It's pretty interesting that Jesus was by himself 
wonder what he was saying, asking his father, communication. Just a little side note, when was the last time you were alone with Jesus and the Word of God in front of you, by yourself, just you and Jesus? And as you read the Word of God, you're like, wow, Jesus, thank you for talking to me this morning. God, thank you for sustaining Scripture all these years so I could hear your voice this morning. But when the, and it's interesting that you put this together because he was alone with him by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion. It's interesting that Jesus not did, didn't just say, well, you know what? And when you think about the word compassion, I want you to move it out of, oh, well, Jesus just felt sorry for those people. That's not what takes place in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus sees the need of those people that are coming to him, and he acts on it. Compassion maybe can be defined from this way. Jesus had something that he could give to help them. And some of those people were miraculously healed. I don't know how many. As you read on there, when the crowds heard of it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, Isn't it interesting that Jesus healed those individuals? Now I realize that I do not have the gift of healing. I would like to be able to go into Florida Hospital and say, So-and-so, you know, you've fully recovered from open-heart surgery, Dwayne. Just walk out the building and you're good to go. Yeah, I don't have that ability. But I do have something, and guess what? You don't have the ability to miraculously heal somebody, but you have power to heal. You sitting in this building have power to heal. You know what it is? The gospel. If you give somebody the gospel, Jesus has the power to radically change that person's life from the inside out. You have healing power today. So when you see people, and you're going to be involved in a crazy generation, I know you are because we're looking, we're living in Highlands County and it's getting crazier as we go along, right? And so the beginning of Matthew chapter 14 is playing out as a reality in Sebring, Florida and Highlands County right now. People's lives are broken. Sin is controlling them so far. Guess what? Instead of listening to all their circumstances, which I think we need to do, then let's introduce them to a Savior that can set them free. Let's share the gospel. Let's say this individual, you know what? I hear you, I hear you, I hear you. But let me tell you about somebody that radically changed my life. His name was Jesus, and he had compassion on this people. He healed the sick. The disciples show up, right? It's almost like in in Matthew chapter 14, the disciples get on this little ego trip. Like, okay, we're going to tell Jesus what we need to do now. It's a desolate place. He's been healing all these people, but it's desolate now, and it's getting late. So look what happens. The desolate place and the day is over. Send the crowds away to their villages and buy food for themselves. Well, you can encourage them to be excited. They had a little bit of leadership ability. They had a thought. Send them away, Jesus. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Now, I wish we would have had Facebook Live right here, right now in Scripture. 
I wish we could have looked at the disciples' faces saying, uh, there's no McDonald's. There's no Popeye's. There's no Taco Bell. And we've got no money. You want us to do what? Just feed them. Jesus, we don't have it. Yes, you do. You have me. Come ask me for help. They didn't do that. Send them away. It's too big. We don't know what to do. Get rid of them, Jesus. Jesus said no. They said to him, we only have five loaves and two fishes. And if you go read through other gospel accounts, you'll see that there was a boy there. And that boy gives up his lunch. So really the hero kind of should be as an, an opportunity to look at from this perspective, at least the boy was willing to give. The disciples wanted to get rid of him. Send him away. And we don't know for sure if the boy was like, yeah, Jesus, no problem. You can have my, you know, my five loaves and two fishes, no problem. Or the boy's over there like, what the world? There's my lunch. What are you doing taking my food? We don't know. But what we know is something is very clear. And he said to them, bring them here. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking five loaves and two fishes. He looked up to heaven and said, the blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. You've got Jesus, you've got bread, and you've got fish. And now you're going to have enough to feed 5,000 men. Now think about this. Jesus is standing there. He's got the bread. He's got the fish. He looks up to heaven. He blesses it. How long is it going to take to feed 5,000 people? Men? There's more than 5,000 people. So there has to be somebody in this crowd standing around saying, um, he started out with two, and they just keep coming. Where are the fish coming from? We started out with five loaves of bread. It's still going. Did this go on for an hour? For two hours? How long? All I know is Jesus is standing there, and the fish don't stop, and the bread doesn't stop, and the people are amazed. Why? Because Jesus was there. So this morning, you have brokenness. And there's not one of us sitting in this room who does not. And so now it gets a little, a little more of your turn. When God gets involved, Peter's life changed. Paul's life changed. As you've seen in the first seven books or chapters of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit shows up and lives are radically changed. God does something amazing in Jonah's life, and Job's life, and Gideon's life, and the nation of Israel's life. What are you going to do? What does he want to do in your life? Are you to the point yet that you will say, help me, Jesus, I'm desperate.
you have a good old, old story that you've heard since you were a little kid in Sunday school class. Five loaves and two fishes. We've heard about John the Baptist, who was the forerunner, saying the Messiah is coming, saying to the individuals of that day, you need to repent, go in a different direction. Fall on your face before God. To the Jewish nation, he was really saying, walk away from the law. It's not about the law. It's about this relationship with this Messiah who's going to die on a cross for us. I know this morning as you sit here, circumstances just continue to wrap up in your world. So I, and it's it's true of our world too. I was, um, my mom calls me last Sunday night. I usually call her after I'm on my way home from church on Sunday night or college and career that beats in the back and she is upset. Something happened at church. Well, what am I, what what do you, I'm like, okay, hold on. So she tells me all about this stuff. And so she's all, I hear these words, feelings, and this, I don't, this isn't right. I don't believe. So, okay, time out, Mom. What's the most important thing, Mom? It's the gospel. Mom, pray that your pastor will just preach the gospel. And then she starts in, and we have, I have a 40-year-old brother. But I'm pretty sure the next time he goes to the doctor, he will have to have open-heart surgery because the left side of his heart is so full of scar tissue from all the ablation procedures that they've done that they can't fix his heart rhythm problem. So we have a history of arrhythmia in our family. It just Your heart just races. So my mom is always talking to me about, well, what about, it's like, Mom, this is what I know. Mom, I know the one who knows when we're going to take our last breath. So, you're not going to like this thought, but you really need to think about this. At the end of today, you will be one day closer to death than you were yesterday. I know that's not like nobody's writing that down, but you know what you really need to do? You really need to write it down because then you actually start living. Because you actually start to think about how I'm going to prioritize my life. Because you know what? Guess what? Not one of you sitting in this room, including myself, has any guarantees. And so what's God going to do? He's going to keep piling on the circumstances. He's going to keep letting the world get more crazy so that we will just stop and say, hold on a second, what is truth? The truth is that the gospel can radically change your life if you say, Jesus, help me. And until you get to that point, It's just, I promise you, it's going to get crazier. And even as you get to that point, it's still going to stay crazy because Jesus wants to hear you repeatedly say, help me, help me. John the Baptist, a man of truth, repentance, feeding of the 5,000. With Jesus, all things are possible. Maybe you need to say for the first time, God, I want you to do work in my life for healing. God, I got an anger issue. God, I've got a bitterness issue. God, I have whatever. But today I'm going to ask you to do a work of healing in my life. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be around the scriptures today. And part of it is not very comfortable. 
And then the other part of it is, oh, Lord, if we just say yes, we'll never be the same. And I know that you are really neat people and you're talented, but I just want to remind you, you already sang Christ alone. What does Christ alone do? He makes the weak strong. Will you run to his arms? Will you run to the Father that has richly loved you? Will you accept his love? So, Father, you know your sons and daughters here today, and you know their needs. So, Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. Jesus, we pause right now and say thank you for being willing to die for us because we've got issues. We're broken. Holy Spirit, may we be a family where it's normal to say, Jesus, help me. May we be a family that finds our strength running to our Father saying, Dad, we can't do this anymore. May you know, if you don't run to your father, maybe it'll be you one day saying, well, you're probably not going to say you want John the Baptist, but where will you end up living in sin because you did not run to your father? Holy Spirit, we need your power now in our lives. Help us not to walk out the same way that we came in, May we not live this afternoon the same way that we lived yesterday afternoon. May we just be different because we, we know you. We're, we, we're willing to ask for help. We're willing to ask to be filled from the inside out. Father, thank you for preserving your word so we could share it this morning. Now, Holy Spirit, do whatever you have to do in our lives to send us out into a broken world where we have the opportunity to see the brokenness and introduce the Savior. Because what you've done in us. Because we've had John the Baptist courage. Because we've been fed by you the way you fed the 5,000. We know who you are. And we're not the same because of who you are. Not because of us, but because of who you are. May we run into your arms. Father, thank you. Send us out into a world different. We love you, Jesus. your name I pray. Amen.